Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. We're so glad you've taken the opportunity to avail yourselves of our audio sermons. If they are encouraging to you, or if you just want to make a comment, we'd love to hear from you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and leave us a comment. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you. Greetings this morning, Foundation Church, from uh, in the name of our Lord, who was the Logos that became the incarnate Word. We're going to talk today about the Word, the Word of God. And our call to worship today reminds us of some things about the Word of God. It's the first psalm. And God's Word says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth his fruit in his season. And his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you that uh, you have given us your word. You have revealed yourself to us. In the Word, we thank you that you have called us today to be here. Many people today, Lord, just use this day as a day to do whatever they want to do, completely ignoring you. They know that you are there, they know that you have made them, but they suppress this truth. But Lord, we thank you that you have been so kind and merciful to condescend to. Give us something we did not deserve. A new heart. Eyes to see Your goodness. Ears to hear Your Word. We thank You that once we were not Your people, and now You have called us to be Your people. And so we are the children of the one true God. Lord, I pray that You would just prepare our hearts, that we might see Your goodness, experience Your glory, and that we might just rejoice and rest in You today. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God from Today's sermon comes from Nehemiah chapter 8. It says this, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. 
And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, and he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Let us pray. Lord, I thank You that You have given us Your revealed Word. I thank You that You have given us ears to hear, Lord. I pray that by the power of Your Holy Spirit, You would speak through me now and that you would allow each of us to hear the things that you have for us that we might place an even greater value in our hearts on your inspired word, that we would drink of it deeply and eat of it, that we might be filled and satisfied. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. As I mentioned earlier, we are at war. This is a nice word picture, but it's more than a word picture. It's a literal uh, truth in the sense we don't have the kind of weapons of warfare that you read about in the uh, Scottish Covenanters, as we've been reading in our family, with claymores and uh, swords drawn, muskets, bows and arrows. But we really are in a battle. And I could talk the whole sermon about that. I won't, but... um, We've just recently rewatched the documentary film Indoctrination. And when you watch that, it just makes your blood boil and makes you angry to see that the things that are happening in the battle for the minds and hearts of our children are not accidental. There is a purposeful, intentional desire on the part of some to ruin, to corrupt our children. They want the control of the educational system, and they're having a lot of success doing it, which is why I think all of us in the room have decided we just don't want to participate in that system anymore. And I think that's, in the day in which we live, a wise decision. I don't think we should be known as the homeschooling people or the homeschooling church. I think in a different day, I would gladly send my children for more instruction elsewhere if they were getting godly instruction. I would still want to be in charge of that and be overseeing it and providing a lot of it myself, but I would, under no circumstances that I can think of, send my children into what those schools are now. Because it's a battlefield. There is a war going on. It's them against us. And we've got to be alert to that. We can't, as so many people do, just kind of wave it off and not pay attention to what's going on. We watched another documentary this week that I'd watched years ago. I had lost my copy. One of you probably has it. So if you have it, I won't be embarrassed. Just bring it back after you hear me mention it. It's a film called Agenda. And it was made by Curtis Bowers. Um, First film he ever made. I think it's about four years old. And Curtis and his wife were at the uh, NOAA conference last week. We got to meet them. And I said, hey, I was just talking about where my film is. And now here they are. So I bought one. And I bought his sequel, which we haven't watched yet, Agenda 2, The Masters of Deceit. 
Well, agenda is about uh, communism. And you go, well, I thought communism was dead. No, communism's alive and well. It goes under different names now. But he, he calls the film Agenda because he wants us to understand the things that are happening in our country are not an accident. You remember during the presidential debates, uh, I was not polling for Marco Rubio, but Marco Rubio said some good things uh, about the abortion issue. And he also said at one point, quote, President Obama knows exactly what he's doing. End quote. Remember that? And Governor Christie ridiculed Marco Rubio and said, oh, you think he's a good president like he knows what he's doing? It's not what Senator Rubio was saying. He was saying the things Barack Obama is doing, he's doing on purpose. He has an agenda. It's not an accident. So this film is about not a conspiracy. A conspiracy is when people gather to do something evil without telling anybody. They do it in secret. What's happening in our country is not a secret. It's right out in the open. They've said it. They've declared it. They've written books about it. Here's our plan. Here's our 24 steps. And you can read it, and they're doing exactly what they said. No conspiracy about it. There's an agenda. So as I watch this, it makes me angry and upset, and I want to do something. And I'm like, this is warfare. They're coming at us head on, smack in the face, to steal our faith, to challenge our faith, to challenge the faith of our children that we're trying to raise them up in. And Curtis Bowers said, after all the research he's done, he said it came down to this. Now hear this. This man spent years researching this. And it's a very, very well put together and well documented film. And he says, here's what it comes down to. Our enemies are at war against God. That's the conclusion he draws. It's not about Republicans and Democrats. It's not even about communists and free enterprises. It's about the people of God and the people that are against God. It's the antithesis is what he's saying. We are, we are at war with people who hate God. And they want to do everything they can to, um, in their own mind and in our culture, eradicate God, uh, marginalize Him. You know, hide his truth. That's the battle that we're in. And we could talk about the pro-life battle. And we could talk. There's lots of battles going on. But we can't just get caught up because we live in a, a fairly comfortable and prosperous time and place. We must not lose our vigilance. We must not forget that we are at war. So how to do battle? How do we fight this war? I would suggest to you that our weapon is the same weapon that Christ used when Derek read to us from Matthew chapter 4. Satan brings his lie, and Jesus said, it is written. Satan brings another lie, another temptation. It is written. Again, it is written. Jesus would go back to the Word. And so, we all know that. You've heard that taught before. The problem is, if we don't know the Word well enough, we can't battle with it. If you go into battle with, you know, with a claymore and you don't know how to, how to use it, it's not going to be of much help to you. If you have a firearm, I have firearms in my house. I think I know how to use them. I've practiced them. I took the class over at Heath's house. Uh, but man, when push came to shove, don't count on me to hit the guy on the first shot, you know, if there's a bad guy around. I'm not very skilled in using that weapon. Well, we fight not against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities. So if we're going to do, the, do battle, whichever of these battles, and we ought to be engaged to some degree in all of them, we need to know the Word of God. Would you agree with that? 
That is our weapon. And yet, even as Christians, I fear... uh, Well, I'll read you what Spurgeon said. Whenever I'm getting ready to preach, I read Spurgeon's sermons, and I always get so discouraged. I'm like, I'm terrible. I should just bring his sermon and open it up and read it. And what would be lost in the boredom of hearing someone read would be gained in your hearing Spurgeon. He's so great. Um, Hey, do you still have my Spurgeon books? I'm talking to you, Steve. You don't? You gave it back to me? The big green one? That's okay. Do you have agenda too? Just kidding. You keep, you keep that book as long as you're reading it. But here's what Spurgeon said. He said, you know how necessary it is that we should be fed upon the truth of Holy Scripture. Need I suggest the question as to whether you do read your Bibles or not? I'm afraid that this is a magazine reading age, a newspaper reading age, a periodical reading age, but not so much a Bible reading age as it ought to be. 1860, sound familiar? I would say I think this appears to be a Facebook age. This appears to be an internet age, but not so much a Bible reading age as it ought to be. And you might go, oh, I reread our Bible. Well, I want to talk about uh, how to read the Bible, when to read the Bible, why to read the Bible. Sometimes I preach and I feel like it's kind of all this stuff and I don't know at the end, what do you do with that? How do you apply that? So I want this to be a bit more of a practical sermon. Not, you know, 10 steps to a happier life, but some real practical things you can go home and do, or maybe do more of. Um, and I don't do all these things well, and a lot of them I'm, I'm bad at. So I'm reminding myself, as preachers always do, and I'm uh, preaching to myself and to my family as well as yours. So first of all, let's talk about when to read Scripture. You've heard me talk before about habit. I would suggest that you form some habits in your house better habits than what you have, unless if you're completely happy and content with the way that you're reading Scripture and the amount that you're absorbing and understanding, then you can ignore all this. I I suspect if we asked for a show of hands, none of us would say, yeah, I got this one nailed, right? We can all do better on this. So form some habits. Always read Scripture during family worship. First of all, always worship together as a family every day. If you only have five minutes which I doubt that that's all you have. But if it's one of those crazy days, pull out the Bible and read something. Okay? Every day during family worship, I strongly encourage you, okay, you're feeding your family bread, you're feeding your family meat, feed them the Word of God. By the way, I would, this is totally up to you, okay? This is not an edict from... uh, uh, from Foundation Church or from the session, but I would encourage you to use other translations of the Bible, maybe other than the King James, in your regular reading. If you, the, the King James is is beautiful, and there are many benefits. When Pastor Mark and I had the conversation years ago about memorizing as a congregation, we agreed that it was very difficult when all families are using different translations. And so, for the purpose of our monthly passages, we agreed, and I think it was a good decision. To pick, we had to pick one, so we picked the King James, and there are, there are good reasons for that. But the King James, as I talked about earlier today, can be awkward and clunky, and it just uses vocabulary that was perfectly appropriate at the time, but they're not words that we use anymore. How many of you use the phrase, to wit, in the middle of your conversation? I don't. So, I want to make sure everyone knows that. Just because we memorize King James doesn't mean that thou art commanded to pull out thy King James Bible in family worship... We actually use the King James a lot during family worship, only because it's what most of us have, 
I think the NASB is a good translation. I think the ESV is a good translation. Pick the one you like, um, but read it. And especially if you have younger children, sometimes those other translations are a bit more helpful as they're learning to read and wanting to read the Bible. It'll really help them to have other translations. We saw the Benham brothers at the Noah conference. Have you heard about these guys? Um, two twin brothers that are 40 years old. and uh, you know They're not exactly like us, but they're good men that really love God. And they talked about uh, when should you read the Bible. They said before you eat your meal. You know, we're built that when we get hungry, things start happening in our body and in our mind. And they said before you feed your body, feed your mind. So I think that's a good suggestion. When you know it's almost meal time, go find your Bible and maybe read for a few minutes. Plan it out so that you have time before your meal. Your, your mind tends to pay more attention when you're hungry, right? When you know there's a meal coming. I would also suggest just reading as often and for as long as possible. So again, this isn't, you know, there's no prize for who, when our, my girls take piano and they keep track of who has the most minutes. And every week they show up and say, I practiced for 98 minutes. You know, they keep track. That's not what we're doing here to see, okay, which family read for the most number of minutes. But remember the book, uh, Ten Keys in a Pod, about the Pent family? How many families have read that book? Oh, wow, you other families need to get that book, okay? Ten, I'll loan it to you. We, no, I won't, because you'll never give it back to me. Get the book, Ten Peas in a Pod. Get it from the library. Great story about this family. The dad uh, got saved. Uh, he came to Christ late in life. He had a, a large family, and he said, that's it. I'm leaving my job, and we're going to do ministry. And they just traveled around and preached the gospel and, you know, were very poor and lived off donations. But one thing they did is they read the Word of God a lot. He had each child read it, I think, a half hour uh, before each meal. And they read it during family worship. And they read it together at other times during the day. And you go, man, that's a lot. Well, by the time his kids were all 14, 16 years old, most of them had the entire New Testament memorized. And he never asked them to memorize it. He didn't say, we're going to memorize this book. Now, they just read it. Over One of the little guys, I forget how old, read the book of Jonah as soon as he could read. I mean, Jonah's, you know, a couple pages. And he read it over and over and over and over and over. And he got to where he knew the whole book word for word. And it got to be like a show. He'd go places. And, Are you the kid that can do Jonah? Yeah. And he'd just say the book of Jonah. He's like six years old. I can't remember. He's really little. And it got to be where these, they became grown men and they'd go places and they'd talk. And people would say, even when they're 40 years old, they'd say, can you still do it? And they'd go, yeah, I can still do it. And they'd say, say a book of the Bible. And they'd just start going, okay, stop, stop. I get it. You know it. I mean, I can't think of too many more testimonies that would be a better witness. And that would build holiness in our children and in us than to do that. Can you? A great book. You should, you should get that book, Ten Peas in a Pod. You know, we pride ourselves, I think I do sometimes, and we're not TV family, right? You ever do that? People ask if you watch TV and you go, we don't watch TV. And you're waiting to get this incredible reaction where they gasp. But we are. We don't watch TV, but now it's called the Internet, right? We, you watch anything and commercials pop up. Remember when there was the Internet with no commercials? Now you've got to sit through a commercial every time you want to watch something. And we're glued to the screen and we're watching videos, so... Let's be really careful about the things we're spending our time on when we say, boy, I don't have time to do what the Pence did. Yeah, we do. 
We're just spending time doing other things. So this is not a guilt thing about, man, Andy was really beating us over the head. It's just to encourage us to say we all do have time if we make it a priority. Okay, so that's when to read. How about what to read in Scripture? Well, read all of it, okay? But that's kind of a tall task because it's a big book and there's a lot of little print in there. So here's some suggestions of where to start. And this is for adults and for children. Any children that can read, here are some suggestions. If you pick up your Bible and you go, man, where do I start? I mean, what do I do? I would suggest these things. Read Psalms and Proverbs over and over and over for the rest of your life until the day you die. You can never read too much Psalms and Proverbs. Uh, I don't know all the Psalms by heart. I don't know all the Proverbs by heart. I think that will be a great thing to do. Again, you can set out to memorize it. I've read about these homeschooled children that at age 18, their gift to their father is to go to them and say, Dad, I've memorized all the Proverbs. Or I've memorized all the Psalms. I've committed it to heart. Whether you do that or not, I think if you read it enough, pretty soon we're reading the Scottish Covenanters and they're in trouble, they're in battle, and the father breaks into God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Where's that from? Someone yell it out. Psalm where? See, we should all know this. I didn't know it either before I you know, was reminded, so I'm not making you feel bad. That's the 46th Psalm. When you hear God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble, we should go, Psalm 46. Right? We should know it. We should know the Psalms. We should know the Proverbs. We want our children to be wise, but most of us, in our hearts, we still, because we grew up in school, we think algebra and world history and geography is going to benefit them more than knowing the Psalms and Proverbs. And if you don't believe me, ask your children how much time you've they spent reading Psalms and Proverbs versus algebra, history, and geography. I'm not advocating that you can't do your geography homework, okay? Uh, we should do that too, but in right proportion. Actually, I don't even care. You know, geography, way down the list on my list. All right, how about the Torah, the law, the first five books of the Bible? This is the history of God's people. How many of you children have learned any American history, any of the history of our country? I'm not going to quiz you. I just want to know. So most of you. What do we learn, especially in American history? We love the revolution, right? It was not a revolution. We love the war of American independence, right? Colonial times and the Declaration of Independence and all that. That's kind of like the Torah. That's where you get the, the early history of God's people. How did it all start? What are our roots? What were our founding fathers like, right? That's Genesis, Exodus. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Now, how many know the War of 1812 and Tecumseh and Tippecanoe? You know, not, not as well. We know it because we were just at Tecumseh, right? But most of us don't know that as well. That's kind of like Judges, Samuel, Kings. Like, we need to know that, but it's not, we're not quite as drawn to that, but that's important too. That's part of the history of God's people. Um, and then, of course, the Pauline epistles, the New Testament, the Gospels. Um, you ever wonder, like you're in a situation, you're like, I wonder what God would say to me. I wish he would talk to me. God came to earth in the form of a man, and Jesus actually spoke words, and we haven't recorded what he said. We should know all the stuff in red. We should really, really be spending time in that, of what God said when he was a man. He didn't say very much that's recorded. It's in a few pages. So I would suggest spending time in the words in red. 
and Paul's epistles. And among Paul's epistles, remember last year I preached the book of the, Revo- of the Reformation. What is the book of the Reformation? Romans. So if you really want to focus somewhere, that's a good one to focus on. Okay, how about how to read? We need to think about, remember when Moses went to the burning bush? He's going into the presence of God, and what did God tell him to do? Take off your sandals. Because the ground you're standing on is holy. You're approaching God. The priests, when they would go into the temple to do their holy work, would remove their footwear and they would wash their feet at the laver there. Because they were going into the holy place of God. So when we, when you open your Bible, I would suggest you take a minute and just pray and remind yourself, this is not a book like any other book. I've been reading algebra. I've been watching Mr. Demi. I've been, you know, doing whatever. Now I'm going to read my Bible. You, you know, take a second and say, this is the Word of God. This is the one book that's different than every other book. This is the Holy Word of God. And kind of prepare yourself. Mentally cleanse yourself and wash your feet. Take off your sandals. You're coming into holy ground. You're going to read the holy word of God. And then pray. And just, Lord, please open my eyes. I'm distracted. This can be confusing. There's going to be things I don't understand. Satan doesn't want me doing this. Help me, God. Please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help me to understand what I'm going to read. Little children should be doing this. You children that are 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, just learning to read. Pray before you read your Bible and say, God, please help me. Help me to to understand this. Okay, I suggest reading without a commentary or other books around. Just read it, drink it in. Drink deeply of the Bible without getting too caught up in hearing what other people say about it. First, read the Bible. Okay? But also read it with a commentary. Because there are parts that are difficult. Some people say it's just me and the Bible and all those other things are just men. Well, um, that's not a right way of thinking. God has given the church teachers, right? You can read Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12. He says, I gave you teachers. It's a gift to the church. Matthew Henry was a gift to the church. My personal recommendation, if you don't have a commentary or you're not sure, get Matthew Henry's commentary on the Bible. Uh, There are many good commentaries, but that one is pretty easy to read, much easier than like Calvin or some others. Um, And it's it's beautiful. It's enjoyable to read. I've I've said this before, but George Whitfield, the great preacher of the Great Awakening, who's seen Matthew Henry's commentary? It's like I have in a five or six book set. It's like this thick with little print. It's a big. I mean, it's a lifetime reading. Whitfield read it three times. And he said, the third time, I read it on my knees. So that's a good commentary. If you're reading something and you want to be able to flip and get someone's thoughts on it, I think Matthew Henry is as good as you can do. You know, I'm sitting on the back porch and I'm watching. We have all these trees and we have squirrels running around and they're jumping from bough to bough on these trees. And to me, the trees are neat. Kids can climb them. They're fun to look at. The leaves turn color in the fall. But for a squirrel, it's different. For a squirrel, that's their home. That tree is like their life, right? They're hiding their nuts in there. They live in there. That's how the Word should be to us. Not just something we kind of, you know, skim through it. Okay, I did my thing. Hopping around the branches. We need to get in there and live in there and let it, let it become more part of us. 
Um, I wrote a couple, found a couple, I didn't write these scriptures. That would be quite blasphemous. I copied these scriptures. Um, if you need some encouragement of why you should get some help, when I read from Nehemiah for my sermon text about how Ezra opened the book of the law, a few verses later it says that the Levites caused the people to understand the law. The people stood in their place, so they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Okay, if it was good enough for them, it's good enough for us. We need other people to come and help us understand. Spurgeon says, if you don't understand what you're reading, you might as well be reading upside down. I mean, can you imagine you take the Bible and, you know, you're doing this and you're like, okay, I got my 10 minutes in before breakfast. Not super helpful, right? But it's a good word picture. We need to slow down and pray again for the Holy Spirit uh, to help you. Uh, read with a pencil and a highlighter. It's okay, I think, to mark up your Bibles. Now, children, talk to mom and dad about this before you scribble all over your Bible. But if you're able to write notes, that might be uh, a good and an okay thing to do. Listen to the Bible. For those that are too little to read or maybe you're just too busy, uh, when I sit on my mower, I'm listening to, to stuff. I'm not just going to be out there letting my mind wander. You moms that are nursing, you can't really go anywhere, right? You're sitting there. Listen to Scripture. If you want the British accent version, get Max McLean or, you know, one of these guys that reads the Bible. Uh, or record it yourself, mom and dad. It's great for our kids to hear the Scripture in our voices. So you can listen to it in those times when you're exercising, you're on your iPod, you're mowing the grass, whatever. Okay, this is important. Memorize. Now, we we know we memorize a passage every month, but I would really encourage you, uh, for hundreds of years, people would memorize their lessons at work, at school. You ever read books from the 1800s? You read Ishmael, right? And what did the kids do? It said they went to school and said their lesson. They recited their lesson. What does that mean? They had to memorize it. And that, when you memorize things, it does all kinds of good things in our brain. It's a good learning tool to stretch the neural pathways and all that stuff in our brain. Good things happen when we memorize anything. Poetry, prose, scripture, of course. And then John Dewey came along in the 1920s, the father of you know, American education. And he said, memorization is bad, it's dumb, it doesn't accomplish anything. It does. Don't believe John Dewey. Believe God's word when it says, I have hidden thy word in my heart. What does that mean? It means I've memorized it. You ever do, when I was a kid and we played piano, they'd say, do you need your music or do you know it by heart? That's what it means to know something by heart means to have it memorized. So let us be like Ishmael. Let us be like those of old and, and actually memorize the scripture. And lastly, on on how to read the Bible, I would suggest that you copy Scripture. This is a great thing for your children, moms and dads, and for you uh, older children, to take time. uh, Jeff read it in Deuteronomy 17. The kings were instructed to copy, to make a copy of the law in their own hands so they could read it and study it. Now, I, I started this years ago, and I, my children, watching Dad, they got inspired, and they started copying, and I kind of got too busy and, and stopped, and I've restarted it just this week. I've got some loose-leaf paper, a nice ballpoint pen, and I'm starting to, I just, I've written five or six books of the Bible, and now I'm starting Psalms, because I want to spend more time in Psalms. 
When you copy Scripture, great things happen. First of all, you're not skimming like we do when we read. You have to really slow down. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man. And you're slowing down and it gives you time to chew on it and think about what you're reading. For an impatient guy like me, it can drive you crazy until you say, I just need to slow down and digest this. It's not a race. And writing God's Word, it's good for penmanship and spelling and grammar. Can't do much better than copying the Bible, right? But of course, it's helping you to learn and to remember God's Word. So copy it in your own hand. All right. Lastly, why to read the Bible? This should go without saying, but God commands us to. Study to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. We're supposed to read the Bible... Again, we're at war. We need to have our our weapons. We need to be on the ready. Right? When you're in a conversation with someone, you want to defend the faith. You want to explain to someone why you believe what you believe. Many of us have done this, and I have. And I I feel ashamed when it happens. I say, there's a thing in the Bible. What does it say? It's in, oh, it's either in Corinthians or, you know, that's okay. I'm not insulting me or you for doing that, but wouldn't it be great to be like, you know, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, and then boom. Isn't that one of the reasons we admire Pastor Mark? He not only knows how to teach us the Word, he knows the Word. He's got it in his heart and in his head, and he can draw on it. When you read Spurgeon and Matthew Henry, they knew the entire Word of God. And as they're trying to understand it, they can draw from that well And say, oh, this verse takes me to that verse. Which reminds me, there's a parallel verse over here that explains that more fully. They can do it like this because they know the Word of God. Instead of, I remember there was something that's kind of familiar floating back there, but it's too clouded with all the other stuff we have in our head. We need to do better at this. So it's right, what did we learn in Deuteronomy? The law of God is not far off in heaven. It's not beyond the sea. Where is it? It's nigh. It should be in our mouth and in our heart that thou mayest do it. Hey, I remember the scripture and I applied it. I wasn't even planning to do that. Okay. Uh, I'll I'll close with this. R.C. Sproul, uh, the elder R.C. Sproul, was asked once uh, how to prepare for ministry. Someone was going into seminary and they said, what would you recommend I do to get ready for this? And I would ask each of you, are you preparing for a ministry? And the answer is, yes. Do you moms have a ministry? Do you adults that are part of this church have a ministry? Do you children have a ministry? To obey your parents, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. We all have a ministry. We don't need to be going to seminary to have a ministry. Well, they asked him, what should I do to prepare for ministry? And here was his answer. Immerse yourself in the Word of God. That was his whole answer. You know, one of the most respected pastors and teachers in all of Reformed Christianity, and they're looking for a 12-step thing, and he said, know the Word of God. Get into the Word of God more. We're reading this book called uh, Before I Meet Prince Charming that we're going through with Corinne and Hannah. Uh, Really good book if you have girls that are 11, 12, 13 and up for uh, parents to be reading with them. I'll read you one short paragraph 
that she says um, that I just read this week. She said, if you struggle with thoughts, she's talking about girls having romantic thoughts of boys and all that, which happens when you get into that age. Uh, if you have thoughts, and it doesn't have to be romantic thoughts, it can be any bad thoughts. Anyone ever think anything wrong? You know, anything bad? Anything unscriptural? If you struggle with thoughts, as we all do, then I cannot emphasize enough how essential it is that you fill your mind with Scripture. Read and memorize it every day. Set a goal to memorize entire books of the Bible. Get into the habit of quoting Scripture during spare moments. Think about it as you're going to sleep at night. And graft the Word of God into your life. So that it becomes a part of you. And then she says, this paragraph may be the most important one in this book. It is not possible to remove wrong or vain thoughts without replacing them with something else. So we need to feed our bodies three or four times a day. We also need to feed, you know, we're feeding our mind with books and videos and internet and all that. We need to feed our minds and our hearts every day with the Word of God. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank You that You have been so kind to reveal Yourself to us. You have given us the history of Your people. You have given us the words of Christ Himself. You have given us apostles and teachers to help us understand better the person and work of Christ. And You have given us teachers in the church. We thank You for Pastor Mark, who is so faithful to always... Bring us Your Word. We thank You for the good men who have gone before us. Jonathan Edwards, Matthew Henry, Charles Spurgeon, and the men like R.C. Sproul who have all labored so diligently to make Your Word more comprehensible to us that we might know it, that it might be on our mouth and in our heart, that we may do it. I pray, Lord, that we would be inspired to dig deeper, to drink from the well of living water that is Your Word, that we would be not only hearers and writers and memorizers, but also doers of Your Word. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.